Chapter 6. No spaghettini macaravoli for you. I don't even think before I run full tilt at Mr. Charles. His startled eyes are the last thing I see before I kick that knife right out of his hand. It goes skittering across the tile floor. Whoa. Where did that move come from? But I'm not done. I headbutt Mr. Charles in the stomach. He goes woof and stumbles back. And for good measure, I execute a perfect elbow strike to the cheek, just like I learned in the self-defense class coach taught in PE last year. I've never been able to do it before, but this time it's a direct hit. And it's fast. I'm fast. Mr. Charles definitely makes an uh sound. Nijoni! My dad yells from the open door, horrified. I pause in my vicious monster fighting onslaught to look over. It's not just dad, but also Mac and the two bodyguards pushing through the entryway. They're all staring at me, mouths open, eyes big as fry breads. Well, I can't see the bodyguards eyes behind their reflective sunglasses, but something tells me they're huge. What on earth? My dad rushes forward to help Mr. Charles. The man is bent over, one hand holding his stomach, the other rubbing his cheek. I am so sorry, dad murmurs as he helps Mr. Charles stand up straight. I have no idea what's wrong with her. Wrong with me? He had a knife, I exclaim. I was protecting myself. Dad looks around. I see no knife. Yeah, I kicked it away, I say. It's on the floor, over there. I gesture vaguely in its direction. Mr. Rock bends over and picks up something. This, he asks, holding up a sharp, deadly, mechanical pencil. It was a knife, I insist. Mr. Rock presses the fraction of lead sticking out the top of the pencil and it breaks off with an audible snap, showing how thin and fragile it is. Mac makes a low whistle and mouse. Way to play it cool, Z. But, but... I take a step toward Mr. Rock, ready to search his pockets. Of course, he switched the knife out for the pencil. Of course he's hiding it. He works for Mr. Charles. Doesn't he? Not so fast, Dad says, holding out an arm to stop me in my tracks. He grabs my wrist like a vice, and the low rumble in his voice tells me I'm in big trouble. The only thing worse than the rumble is when he calls me by my full name. Don't you think you've caused enough trouble, Najoni Marie Begay? Welp. Mac mouths. You are so grounded. I narrow my eyes. Oh no, I'm not getting blamed for this one. Dad, he had a knife. Honest. He was threatening to kill me. Why else was he in our house? Oh well, I, I came in to use the little boy's room. Mr. Charles says with an embarrassed, aw shucks, chuckle. Oh, please. Dad surely's not going to fall for that. I mean, do monsters even pee? Well, why were you studying our family photos? I ask with a growl. Uh, well, uh, I was admiring them. Uh, you have such a lovely family. Yeah, more lies. Everyone knows Mac is funny looking. I ask, well, why did you need a pencil? He crinkles his brow, puzzled. Well, you asked me for an autograph. Don't you remember? He holds up a small flip-top notepad. Mr. Rock pumps the eraser to load fresh lead and hands the pencil to Mr. Charles, who signs a piece of paper with a flourish. He tears it out and holds it out to me. Thanks, 
I mutter, taking the paper automatically. I look down at it and see that it has very nice handwriting. That seems odd for a monster. Wait, do monsters give autographs? Double wait. I've never even asked for his autograph. He's totally lying. Dad simmers. Mac mouths. Loser. Dad! I start to protest, but he's not listening. To your room, he says, quietly but firmly pushing me down the hall. I swear he had a knife. One last protest. We're at my bedroom door, and he marches me across the threshold, plants me by my bed, and turns to me. I've never seen him so mad. His face is bright red, his eyes are wet like he's about to cry, and the veins on his neck are pulsing with parental rage. I have never been so embarrassed in my entire life, he hisses through gritted teeth. How could you attack my potential new boss who I'm trying to impress, and then make up some wild story about a knife? But, but... No, he holds up a hand. You're done talking, Najoni. In fact, you're done, period. You're staying here while the rest of us go to Pasta Palace and have a nice, violent, free dinner. You are not to leave this room, and I'm taking your phone too so you can spend time thinking about what you've done. Do you hear me? He raises a shaky hand to his face and pushes his short hair back. And I'm going to uh, apologize profusely to save my job. I know you don't want us to move away, but you've gone too far. Much, much too far. I hate to say it, but I'm ashamed of you. And just like that, all the fight goes out of me. I feel like a worm. Worse. The end of the worm. Worm butt. That's me. I feel my stomach sink and tears rush to my eyes. My father gives me one last look. A look of pure shame. Before he closes my bedroom door right in my face. I stand there for a minute, staring at the back of the door. I can hear Dad making more apologies to Mr. Charles and that slime ball laughing it off and asking if I caused trouble in school. Unfortunately, I also hear Mac helpfully volunteering that once I had to attend a Saturday anger management class at my old school for punching Eleanor Huffstratter in the nose. But Mac neglects to mention that Elora Huffstratter said that my mom left us and made fun of me for it. Then she made war whooping noises like a bad western film. So as far as I'm concerned, Alora totally had it coming. I would do it again in a heartbeat, even if it meant another Saturday of anger management class. Mac is totally bought into Mr. Charles' act. My little brother has no idea we're both in danger and I can't warn him without my phone. More voices and footsteps and they're all leaving. I hear the click of the front door as it closes. I rush to my window to watch everyone pile into the black, big black Escalade and drive away. Everyone except Miss Bird, who turns and heads back to the house. I open my door a crack to see her plop down on the living room couch and pick a magazine off the coffee table. Hmm. Looks like she's getting left behind to make sure I don't escape. And just like that, my day of average humiliation becomes a day of spectacular humiliation. No family, no phone, and everyone believes a monster's word over mine. I flop on my bed, and maybe, just a little, because no one's here to see it, I cry. Chapter 7. Mr. Yazzie. No matter what I do, sleep won't come. I toss and turn and flip and flop, utterly miserable. I try to get more comfortable, fluffing my pillows and smoothing my blankets until they're all lined up with the sheets the way I like them, but nothing works. Still wide awake. 
because honestly, how could I sleep after what Mr. Charles said to me? I replayed the conversation in my head, trying to make sense of it. According to him, my dad is totally normal, but my mom is a former enemy because she's directly related to Changing Woman's son, whoever that was. And that makes me a threat. But how can I be a threat? I did land a pretty spectacular headbutt to his stomach, but he wanted to kill me even before that. Hmm. Maybe I should run away. I can't leave Mac behind. Charles wants for him for something. What did he mean by, he will come in quite handy? Hmm. My empty stomach flops at the thought of Mac being brainwashed, or worse, by a monster at this very moment. But if Dad doesn't believe me, what am I supposed to do? His boss can lie all he wants, but when I told the truth, I got punished. I do not deserve this, I say out loud. There are few things we do deserve, says a voice from the top of my bookshelf. It sounds croaky, a bit like the old man who smoked too many cigars. I sit up straight and blink furiously. Haven't you ever heard that saying? The voice continues. Life is like a box of chocolates. What? Oh dear, no, that's not it. Life is a bed of roses. Uh, no, no. Uh, what is the blasted saying? I know, I know. Uh, life's not fair. Am I hallucinating? Did the basketball to the face knock something loose? Did... Did someone speak? I ask hesitantly. Why, of course someone's speaking. Me. I slide off the bed and make my way warily toward the sound of the voice. It's coming from the top shelf of my bookcase, where I keep my favorite stuffed animals. I know I'm a little old for them, but some have been my friends for so long I just couldn't bear to give them away when Dad came around with the donation box right before Christmas. Who's there? I scan the shelf for a hidden speaker. Maybe Mr. Charles bugged my room, but the voice sounds nothing like his, and I don't see anything suspicious. Hello? Ya'ate, someone responds in Navajo. I reach up quickly and part the animals, pushing aside the purple bear and pink narwhal named Cupcake to find the owner of the voice. In the middle of the shelf sits my stuffed horned toad, Mr. Yazzie. But Mr. Yazzie's no longer a toy. He's a very real, very alive lizard, spiky head, beady black eyes and all. I'm pretty sure he's smiling at me. Are you? I whisper in awe. Anashoi, dichizi. Uh, I was just gonna ask if you're a talking horned toad. The little guy frowns. Naashoi, dichizi means horned toad, and I'm most certainly talking. I believe the answer to your question is yes. Is this for real? I mean, how did you get here? Where did you come from? Why, uh, from you, Najoni. You picked me out at the Museum of Indian Arts and Culture gift shop. Have you forgotten? He looks crestfallen. No, not at all, I rush to reassure him. I just remember you being, um, a bit different. Oh, yes. You mean, he pokes his side with a little claw. Not alive. I nod. Whilst others might scream or faint when a formerly stuffed horned toad speaks to them, I've been raised to take seemingly supernatural things in stride. Up to now, talking animals hadn't been part of my everyday life, but my Shimasani told me that there's more to the world than just humans can see, and it's best to keep an open mind. So that's what I'm doing. Keeping an open mind. 
a slightly freaked out open mind. Well, quite right, Mr. Yazzie says. Of course, uh, thank you, by the way, for choosing me. It gets a bit boring living in a museum. I mean, it's not that I don't enjoy seeing a new exhibit once in a while, but honestly, even lizards like a bit of adventure, and let's face it, living things don't belong in a museum. A couple of years ago, Dad dragged Mac and me to the Museum of Indian Arts and Culture in Santa Fe for a lecture on contemporary Navajo jewelry. The lecture was pretty good, but Mac wouldn't stop fidgeting, so Dad sent us out to browse in the gift shop. He even gave us some spending money. Mac went straight for the art books, of course, and I loved looking at all the bright scarves and silver jewelry, but what really caught my eye was the shelf of stuffed toys based on animals native to the Southwest. There had been a lot of great choices, but the palm-sized horned toad was my favorite. He had sand-colored hide and a wide, flat body with a mane of small horns that flared around his face like a fierce cross between a lion and a dragon. The tag attached to his short tail said that the horned toads were considered a blessing and a symbol of protection by traditional Navajo. If you caught one, the little grandfather, as we sometimes called corn toads, might help you in the future. Best of all, he was soft and fluffy, but tough and prickly at the same time. Kind of how I saw myself. We were kindred spirits. But that was way before he started talking to me. I don't mean to be rude, I say, but how long have you been alive. Oh dear, where are my manners? Allow me to introduce myself. I am Theodius Alvin Yazzie. He holds out a little claw to me. Yes, I, I know. I gently pinch his claw between my thumb and finger and shake. I gave you that name? Oh, you did? Uh, indeed, indeed. How could I forget? <laughs> That's what sitting on a shelf will do to the old brain. Uh, don't suppose you have any coffee? Of course, my previously stuffed horned toad wants coffee. Totally normal. I'm not allowed to drink coffee. Dad says it will stunt my growth, but if you really want some, maybe later I could warm up some instant... If I ever get out of my room, that is. He makes a disgusted face. Instant? Ugh. Never understood the appeal of drinking something that smells like gym socks and dirt, but adults, and talking horned toads apparently, take it quite seriously. Wait, why am I thinking about coffee? Focus, Najoni. Recently animated stuffed animal here. So, why are you talking to me? He smiles. Or at least I think he does when the side of his mouth curl up like that. He could have just had gas for all I know. Well, because you need me. I'm here to fight the monster. You mean, Mr. Charles? Most assuredly. I seem to be the only one who can tell. My, my dad thinks that I'm making it up. Well, because he's not familiar with the old stories, Mr. Yazzie says with a melancholy, menin, melancholy sigh. Or he's forgotten them in his grief over losing your mother. I wonder how the lizard knows so much about my dad and my mom. Everyone seems to know more about her than I do. It's kind of frustrating. The elders don't pass things down the way they used to, continues Mr. Yazzie. And the young people don't care to learn. Back when I was just a small toad, we were taught all the old stories. The four worlds that came before this one. First man and first woman. My personal favorites are the hero twins. No one tells any of these stories very much anymore, so people have forgotten how to live in the world. I'm sorry, I say, seeing his spiky mane drop sadly. I mean, I'm sorry no one's learning the stories. My Shimasani told me that taught me some when I had my... Kinalda. Then something occurs to me. In fact, 
now that I think about it, I saw my first monster soon after that. Your coming-of-age ceremony surely wakened your powers, Yazzie says matter-of-factly. So shall we go slay this monster then? But I'm getting ahead of myself, aren't I? Never lock a gift horse in the house. No, no, no. Uh, you can lead a horse to fodder. No, no, no. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, we must not put the cart before the horse. He looks so happy, recovered from his moment of melancholy, that I hate to bust his bubble. But I bust, I must. I'm all for fighting Mr. Charles, but I'm stuck in my room, if you haven't noticed. Besides, what can one girl and once stuffed torn toad do against a monster with a knife? No offense about the stuffed part. Mr. Yazzie huffs a bit, as if he was indeed offended by the stuffed part. But he says, he had a knife, did he? Mm, of course he did, being a monster and all. Yeah, I don't expect him to fight fair. We'll just have to procure you some weapons of your own, won't we? Weapons? That sounds promising. Yeah, but we'll have to go get them. He looks up at me. Do you have a map? What map? I don't have any map. Hmm, maybe the weapons are buried somewhere like a treasure chest. Could we Google map it? I ask hopefully. Well, once I get out of my room and have my phone back, of course. My dear, he says, puffing out his collar a bit. We're looking for the glittering world, which I can assure you is not on any Google map. Um, what exactly is a Google map? N never mind. The, the map must have been lost. We'll need to get a new one. How do we get a new one? Naashiji Azda can help us. Who? Her map, Mr. Yazi continues, ignoring my question, will show us the path to the House of the Sun. Once you get there, you'll ask him politely for the right weapons. Okay, I'm trying to keep an open mind, but you say him like the sun's a person, and last time I checked, the sun was a huge star millions of miles away in outer space. Or at least I think that's what the sun is. Where's Davery with his science facts when I need him? The sun is much more than a star in a glittering world. There, the sun is a fine house at the end of Rainbow Road. Lovely, really. Uh, I'll be there often. Well, a few times anyway, but a warning. He can be rude. His nickname is the Merciless One. Uh, so, so maybe we should skip his place, then. No. If you want your weapons, that's where we must go. Can we do all this before my dad gets home? Because if he finds out I went on some crazy quest to glittering rainbow place for monster-killing weapons when I wasn't even supposed to leave my room, I'll be grounded. Until high school. It's supposed to be a joke. My way of dealing with all the scary things Mr. Yazzie's telling me, but the horned toad doesn't laugh. If you don't succeed, Najoni... Mr. Yazi says, his tone serious. You won't have to worry about high school. I swallowed the lump in my throat. Mr. Yazi peers at me with one big eye. This is important, Najoni. I want you to understand that the dangers we will face are very real. You must be prepared. Throughout history, other people have tried to fight monsters and failed. What happened to them? They disappeared and were never heard from again. I can only assume they perished. Perished? As in, died? Well, yes. What do you think happens to monster slayers who fail to slay monsters? They're called monsters for a reason, and it's not because they're warm and fuzzy. For a long moment, Mr. Yazzie looks at me without saying anything. Little beads of sweat trickle down the side of my face. Death is always a possibility. But this is your destiny. You must put a stop to this enemy, and not only for your own sake, but for your people. If you are brave enough, determined enough, I will do what I can to help. 
Are you willing to try? My destiny. I thought my destiny was to be a sports hero or an internet sensation, but instead I'm supposed to be a fighter. For my family. What did he call me? A monster slayer? That, that kind of sounds cool. It's not what I'd expected, but I'm okay with that. I mean, I'm not okay with dying, but this has a chance to be something real, something important. It's what I've been waiting for all this time. I nod, crossing my fingers that I'll be up to the task. Okay, I'll do it. Very good. Then wake up. And with that, Mr. Yazi gathers his powerful legs beneath his reptile body and leaps from the shelf, straight at my face. <laughs>